Welcome to Till the Movie Deals Part, a movie discussion podcast between one married couple in our late days. Ed from Australia who likes watching movies, and Bibi from Colombia who likes arguing about them. We will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly experiences of our movie-going adventure as a means of breaking down the films that are significant to us to hopefully help avoid breaking up our marriage. Will we succeed? There's only one way to find out. For a considerable portion of the 1990s, Kenneth Branagh was the world's most famous purveyor of film adaptations of the work of William Shakespeare. His name essentially became a byword for prestigious and critically acclaimed films that perhaps while not surpassing the work of Laurence Olivier, John Gielgud or Alec Guinness, at least inspired new generations to explore and engage with the Bard's work. As Roger Ebert once described, Branner had the ability to make the old new again. Although he had become a stage sensation throughout Britain from the early 80s, it was his film debut in 1989's Henry V, which he also directed, that shot him to international superstardom. The film was universally praised and scored Branagh Oscar nominations for Best Actor and Best Director, all at the age of just 29. Branagh's next adaptation of Shakespeare, which is the subject of this episode of Till the Movie Do Us Part, came four years later with 1993's Much Ado About Nothing. Now, I must confess at this point that I am no Shakespeare file. I've studied a couple of his plays at high school. I've seen Baz Luhrmann's adaptation of Romeo and Juliet and Roman Polanski's Tragedy of Macbeth, both of which are superb, but that's pretty much it. I do, of course, understand the importance of his work and respect the way it has shaped most of, much of Western culture. But honestly, I find the language to be impenetrable and so much of the detail tends to go flying over my head. I am able to get the general gist of things when watching his films, but if ever confronted with his words as written, it's lights out. It's a considerable weakness in my attempts at maintaining historical and cultural literacy and one that I've remained unable to improve thus far. So uh, it was with some trepidation that I approached this film, which of course I hadn't seen and knew next to nothing about, at my wife's behest. Much Ado About Nothing is the story of a group of soldiers who return victorious from a recent battle to visit the Italian country town of Messina. This group is led by Don Pedro, played in the film by Denzel Washington, and includes Don Pedro's half-brother, Don John, Keanu Reeves, and his fellow soldiers and friends, Claudio and Benedict. Pedro is attempting to maintain peace with John, following a major quarrel, while Claudio falls in love with the town mayor's daughter, and Benedict, who is played by Branagh himself, resumes a war of words with the mayor's niece, played by Emma Thompson, Branagh's real-life wife at the time. This is one of the Bard's lighter works, and Branagh has made a film that revels in the sense of exuberance, mischief, and joy. Because of this, it's easier for someone such as myself to get swept along with the characters and their interactions with each other. I still found it difficult to work out exactly what was going on from scene to scene, especially when some of the more abstract uh, aspects of the film, such as Michael Keaton and Ben Alton apparently riding invisible horses, are introduced. Despite this, Much Ado About Nothing remains a vibrant and infectiously enjoyable romp through the Italian countryside. I think of it as a bit like a new puppy, a bit overbearing and too eager to please, prone to making clumsy mistakes, but in the end, too adorable to be considered as anything other than a whole bunch of fun. Okay, so let's start talking about this movie, Much Ado About Nothing, um, and the categories that this movie falls into. Um, well, I think uh, for me, this one really only fell into one category. I'm sure it's fallen into a few others for you. I mean, um, you chose the film. You, you really enjoy it. I've never seen it before. Uh, so that was the category that I sort of regarded as fitting in, just the ones that... You haven't seen. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Well, like... it's, it's not like... It's not considered, um, you know, a, a particularly important film, like historically, even though it's based on a Shakespeare play. So it's not can't really be um, classed as homework. Um, again, from my perspective, there's not much sort of social um, uh, importance to it. It's more of a comedy of manners and, you know, observing the the sort of the silliness of, of some human behaviour. Um, which is not to say that it's not a, a good or enjoyable film. It's just 
um, certainly by Shakespeare's standards, like it seems as though it's it's a pretty, not a minor work, but like, you know, Hamlet, Macbeth, Romeo, all, the, all those ones are up here, whereas Much Ado About Nothing, again, from my uneducated sort of, you know, uh, viewpoint, a few rungs below. Mm. Okay. Well, for me, it falls also into the relationships category because yeah, is the is the relationship between the characters, mm. couples, and also father, daughter, and yeah. town, and everything. Yeah. So I think that the relationship is there. Mm. But also, well, yeah, it's not a social importance movie, but it kind of talks, and I'm going to explain this later. But it kind of talks about the role of the genders. And that is very important. Mm. So, yeah, it's not a social importance, but it has a subject mm. that is quite interesting to, um, you know, like look further. I'd almost put it in ambiguous because I found uh, understanding what the characters were saying <laughs> sort of even more than ambiguous, so bloody confusing. Um, but that's just my sort of um, you know, ignorance when it comes to this sort of stuff. Well, it kind of like no it's not ambiguous no, because not. there is a definite ending mm. and there is a definite moral of the story mm. um but yeah the language is pretty hard like if it's hard for you that is your first language imagine how hard it is for yeah. me that is my second language yeah. it is pretty hard but the thing with shakespeare plays is that they are so visual mm. that really the language is just like an add to it more than the main thing yeah it's like i had always assumed that um those plays uh, because they were you know written back in i think the late 1500s early 1600s um i just assumed that that was how people spoke back then and it, it actually wasn't really the plays like i just sort of did a very sort of you know superficial amount of research um the plays were written in this sort of heightened uh, language um, uh, that, that wasn't sort of um, any like an exact replica of the way people used to speak it. Like some parts were, but a, a lot of um, a lot of his language and the way they talk was was deliberately heightened, um, and, and it wasn't like a realistic sort of representation of the way people interacted. Well, the thing is that remember that back then. Um, only people with certain status, social status, could attend to plays. Mm. Like the plays, they were plays on the streets, mm. but obviously... Like street theatre. Yeah, but they were showing how the, these classes were, you know, living and moving and all of that. Yeah. So, like, it's not really... Yeah, the language is not really... Um, a, it doesn't really show how people were talking in that time. However this play um, really plays with the, with the language because they are a lot of uh, entendre, double entendres, double entendres, and a lot of dirty jokes that, um, that make this play actually one of the, you know, people's in back in the, in that time, people's favorite play from Shakespeare. Mm. So what are you talking about throughout the movie? There's these double entendres. Yeah, like even the name. Mm, okay, yeah. so I'm going to explain you. Uh, well, I did a little bit of research as well because I I love the the time, you know, the age and all of that. Mm. But this is kind of hard for me as well. So one of the big motive is the play on the words nothing and nothing without H. These were near homophones in Shakespeare's day. And if you take them literally, the title implies a great fuss, so much ado, is made of something which is insignificant, nothing. Mm. Such as, for example, the unfunded claims in, in Hero's infidelity, mm. or Benedict's um, and Beatrice being in love and being silly about, yeah? But nothing also uh, something like nothing, also meaning in that time, gossip, rumor, or overhearing. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, a lot of the situations that happened in this movie were because someone eavesdropped something and 
uh, that got either fixed or wrong, yeah? Mm. But, and this is the, the interesting part, nothing is also a double entendre. Because, I think I saw this as well. Yeah? Yeah. Because um, you can take it as all thing or the end all thing or the no thing that in Elizabethan slang was meaning a vagina. Yeah. So, um, so and that was derived from the women having nothing, nothing between, between their legs. Between their legs. Mm. So, like, if you read the, the title with this kind of double entendre it's much about much ado about vaginas all the fuss that men do when you know about women yep. and and the, and the sexual characters yeah, so like pretty much a like an accurate statement of uh of nowadays well of of, of existence exactly yeah. <laughs> of of the whole of of um you know not even sort of organized civilization like it's going right back to when we first emerge out of the primordial swamp you know it's um it's that's that's what we're about it's well, what humans are about well like we all we all know that like women have the power <laughs> uh, yeah okay <laughs> okay so um so that is very interesting about the language mm. yeah, yeah, yeah definitely you cannot understand a lot of the things that they are saying um but it's interesting when you actually go and and you know and do a research about the movie and get all this so see yeah i mean it sort of it, it casts it in a more interesting light um like certainly on the surface it's just like a um like a romantic comedy type situation and you know hijinks ensue and um misunderstandings uh, it all gets sorted out in the end so it's all light and fluffy but um you know as you've just uh, sort of illustrated or, or described if you want to look deeper and in, into it there's other levels that are there and i guess um you know that's that's um one of the uh, hallmarks of, of shakespeare's work uh, and one of the many hundreds of reasons thousands of reasons why his work is um, held in such regard today. I mean, <clears throat> he, um, again, like this just speaks to my sort of ignorance, but he, like, he's a, he was actually responsible for creating words that we that are used now just in regular language, in regular interactions that they didn't use back then, but he, he made them. And I, like, I sort of had a general sort of awareness of that. But again, just going into it, it's it's amazing how, how influential at this one person has been um and the way he shaped like civilizations throughout the world for hundreds of years after he died so um, what words did he create so he did create some words like um apparently um bandit and critic were words that he invented that hadn't been used at the time critic yeah critic so like he he invented the word critic for someone who critiques something you know Okay. Um, you know, lackluster, lonely, swagger. These are words that he apparently invented. And we just use them in, well, not perhaps all of those, but certainly we're aware of what they mean and know how to use those words if we needed to. Um, but he also sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, moulded words um, and sort of gave new meaning to words, like he added the prefix un to 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 words to, to to change their meaning so like um unaware apparently he was the first one to use that put un on aware so um undress unreal unearthly these are all sort of things that he apparently um created and i think it was um it had something to do with uh ma making sure that he could fit in uh, more language into his plays or make it quicker or more brief uh, to make it flow uh, because again like getting back to that how he used that used that heightened language um, there was a certain rhythm that had to be um, the, the the speeches and the soliloquies and, and just the general interactions that his characters had and the actors had to say during the plays um, had, they found it easier 
to remember their lines if the, they were written um, in a sort of rhythm. Mm-hmm. In so, the sort of, yeah. It was because apparently like back in the day, um, like the, the plays ran to a strict schedule because they had to get through so many um, during, during you know, season. whenever. Yeah, during season and all that sort of stuff. And so because these actors uh, had to learn so many different lines of dialogue and in different plays, apparently it was easier for them to remember their lines if they, to, like, if they had to say them in a certain way. Um, and so to fit in what the dialogue that Shakespeare had written, he, he like, blended words or did that, what I described there, he added the prefixes and, and things to make it easier for the words to fit in with the rhythm of the way that the actors would say the, the lines and allow them to remember it, but also uh, for him to get what he wanted to express uh, across. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, well, again, like this is just stuff that I've, I've got off the internet, so um, I can't say it with it's a definitive truth that that's what it was, but, you know, if you go in there and just do a basic search of this stuff, um, that's that's basically what what the situation was and why he had to, um, I mean, I guess the old saying is, what is it? Um, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, he was he had to find a way to, um, to to fit all his dialogue in um, in a way that was suitable to him, that he was able to express his point and what he wanted the characters to say and do, but allowed the actors, the people who were delivering his lines and work, um, the ability to do it effectively to, to fit in with their um with the way that they had to to do their work mm. uh, so yeah it was really interesting to sort of go back and, and have a look at this stuff and again you know um if i had time i'd, I'd go into it in, in a bit more depth so i could be a bit more sort of um certain in um in in, in you know what i'm saying about this but uh certainly it seems as though um there was there was reason for him as um uh, inventing words and, and creating new twists on words. Um, so, yeah, like, very, very interesting stuff and uh, amazing to sort of consider how one person can be so influential. influential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, like, I feel like his plays, even though they are very specific in time, you know, like, um, they kind of they kind of can be related nowadays. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, like, it's it's almost like the last episode we were talking about how some uh, movies, they age, mm. and you can see it. Mm. But it, it's incredible that his plays are so old and it's still you can relate them, relate them with nowadays. Mm. It's incredible. Well, I mean, I still remember um, when I was in high school, we... Um, I think the the plays the Shakespeare plays I studied in high school were like the the main ones like Hamlet and Macbeth and maybe one or two others. But one of the assignments that we had to do was to um, take a like a film or a TV show, probably a film back in those days, so late mid to late nineties, um, and examine it or, or identify the ways in which we thought that the filmmakers had used. Um, a, a Shakespearean play to inform or were influenced in in their work um, that was was shown through whatever film that we chose, and um, I, I chose from memory. I chose Shallow Grave, which was um, Danny Boyle's first film, um, and he was the guy who. This was before he made Train Spotting and all those films with um, that became famous with Hugh McGregor. Um, this was again one of Ewan McGregor's first films, um, and it's like a sort of um, a little film—oh, not a film noir, but um, it's about a, a group, a young group of sort of yuppies living in maybe in Edinburgh or something, and um, there's two blokes and, and one woman, and they're advertising for a, um, a new flatmate, and they get this new flatmate in, and um, he dies the flatmate dies on the very first night and when they go in and find him he's got a uh, a suitcase filled with money and so rather than report to the, the death to police they 
try and do away with his body and keep the money for themselves. And it's just about the fallout from that decision. And I can't remember for the life of me what play I sort of referred it back to, but it, it might have been uh, Macbeth or something like that. Um, anyway, um, the, it, I, I remember getting pretty good marks for it. Um, I just wish I could remember which player I've sort of um, referred to there. But, you know, like like you were saying, there's lots of films, um, plays, TV shows now that uh, that take their cues and their inspiration from, from the stuff that he wrote. Mm. You know, it, people describe stuff as being a Shakespearean tragedy and all this sort of stuff. And people get a general idea of it. They sort of think that it's, oh, you know, um, if it's King Lear, there's the three sons. So... Um, the Godfather is referred to as, as a Shakespearean tragedy because the king, you know, um, dies and his three sons there are sort of left picking up the pieces and all the stuff that happens in between them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's astonishing to think about. I really should educate myself more about it and uh, be a bit more um, sort of literate about his achievements and, and his influences. Um or his, the way his work has influenced, you know, so many others. Now, um, what about the characters? Like, um, I would like to discuss the main characters of the movie and then later, like, have a roundup with all of them. What yeah, do you think? Go, go ahead. Okay, so one of the first main characters in the movie is Benedict. Mm. Um, he is a self-about bachelor. He swears he will never get married as he believes women are incapable of being faithful to their husbands. And I have something to say here. Mm -hmm. So through the movie... Well, okay. Should I be nervous? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, through the movie, he showed himself as a tough guy. Mm. Yeah. But then when you analyze this, that little part that he says, he believes women are incapable of being faithful to their husbands. It takes me to a saying in Colombia. Mm. So in Colombia, we have a saying uh, that is el ladrón juzga por su condición, which means the thief judges everything around him according to his condition, being a thief. So what does that mean? Okay. So the meaning of that in Benedict's case is that he either have a lot of love affairs with married women. Um, so in that way, he believes that married women are not faithful, but he is still as bad as those married women because he knows he's entering to these relationships. Mm. Or women cheat on him a lot. Um. And, and, and that means that he is afraid of showing his feelings because of this and he's not as strong as he appeals to um yeah like i took it that a little bit of a um a little bit of the second option there i didn't necessarily think that he'd been cheated on by lots of women he may have been sort of had his heart broken once and decided that he'd want to do it again i i, I thought that it was a bit of a that character was like almost like a stereotype really where he uh, I thought I thought he was a stereotype because he was the like the character who you know um, was always looking for the next sort of uh, woman to go and have sex with to go and sleep with and constantly shouting about how he you know um, definitely never gonna get married and you know marriages for suckers and um, and but like deep down, all he really wanted was to, you know, have to love the one woman and be in a loving relationship. And I just it was a bit sort of pat and a bit sort of like, oh, OK, well, that's not really surprising. Um, so the character himself, I, I I didn't think there was anything to suggest that he'd been cheated on multiple times. I think it was just a case of maybe he was he'd either had his heart broken once or he was terrified of having his heart broken. So to overcompensate for that, he just went around and slept with whatever and made a big show about it um, to, to build up his bravado. And, you know, oh, no, I'm, it's not that I'm scared of having my heart broken. It's just I just don't care because I'm a guy and this is what guys do, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't like um, 
you know, particularly sort of revelatory, I didn't think. Um, I thought, yeah, like I said, it's a bit of a stereotype more than anything. Well, but it's funny that you said that because all the characters, are not, they are an stereotype. All of them? All of them. Okay, we'll explain. Okay, so now we go with the following one that is Beatrice. Mm. So Beatrice, she definitely does not fit the mold of the traditional Elizabethan women. Mm. She is opinionated, outspoken, stubborn, independent, full of wit. Mm. But the funny part is that um, Benedict in the past broke Beatrice's heart. So like they had a relationship and it was him who broke Beatrice's heart. So again, we go with the with the with the situation that ben, that we So they're sort of like mirror, mirror images of each other. Yeah. But then she is a stereotype. Probably no of of what was seen in that time, but what women wanted to be because they were so you know, pleased mm. and so quiet. Mm. And actually in that time, and you can see it in the play, uh, women are inferior to men. Mm. But this woman is not that. She's feisty. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, um, I almost can see it as, as, an, as something that maybe Shakespeare saw the women becoming into in the future. Mm. Or because we are actually nowadays like that. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like it's difficult to tell because I certainly don't think Shakespeare. Maybe when he wrote the play, he was thinking this is where. Um, it's yeah, but I mean, and again, like it's it's difficult because we obviously never have no idea of what it would be like back then. We can only go off these plays, but um, I, I can't sort of imagine a world where it would be such a, um, a an astounding thing to consider the possibility that maybe one day women would, would women would be more assertive in their you know rights and less submissive towards the interests of men and what what men thought about them. Again, maybe I'm just being completely naive, um, and I'm certain there there are well I know for a fact that there's lots of women. Uh, nowadays who are still r like raging against the patriarchy and all that sort of stuff you know, still <laughs> well yeah I mean like it's all over social media now and um, you know in the discourse about how um, the patriarchy needs to be smashed and the patriarchy is the reason like the world's in such bad shape and all that sort of stuff um, and you know like um, there's some merit to some of the stuff that gets thrown around and, and not much to to some of the other stuff um but in terms of this play and these characters like certainly now those characters like we we're saying it's sort of more stereotypes um whereas perhaps back then they were sort of quite you know but if you analyze the plays that shakespeare wrote mm. like the action and the situations they were leading either they were leading for a woman by a woman mm. or they were caused by a woman mm. like a, yeah. for example uh, Romeo and Juliet mm -hmm. she was the one that killed herself to free herself from all the pressure blah 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 and you know like she um, she acted like she was dead thanks to the priest mm. but she was the one that took the first step mm. if you think Lady Macbeth mm. you know she was the one that like asked this guy to to leave everything and leave his revenge and whatever uh if you think in here in in beatrice she is you know the one that is like that tells benedict you love me okay perfect i take that but you need to go and revenge my cousin mm. you know mm. so like he he also portrays these women as strong women as 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 idealistic as bold with know? agency mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay the next one claudio he's young and just sorry um maybe we can talk about this later but it seems like a good point to bring it up um the whole crux of this film or not well basically one of one of the main main turning points of the film 
is this thing where, um, and Claudio, you're about to talk about Claudio, but Don John, the the, the bad guy of the film, basically, um, uh, to, to wreak his revenge against Don Pedro, actually um, puts it in Claudio's mind or makes Claudio think that Hero um, has been unfaithful. Not just unfaithful, but that she's no longer a virgin. Um, and that was a big thing. Yeah, well, th- this then. is what I want to sort of get onto. Like, um, uh, th- this idea that um, the woman not being a virgin, well, obviously, that's completely outdated now. <laughs> obviously. But, <laughs> a, but as a, um, um, like a, a dramatic sort of plot point, it, I, I found it a bit strange. Why? And it, well, because, like, I don't know, it just struck me as really silly. Um, and, again, you know, obviously it was a big thing back in the day. Um, but, like, you need to understand that back in the day, mm. the worth of a – the value and the worth of a woman mm. was uh, attached to that chastity, mm. you know, to, to be virgin, to be white, to mm. be pure. Pure, yeah. Yeah? So um, if you see it in that way – She's the daughter of the mayor. Mm. She like she is a lady. Yeah, and you that, know. Yeah. And here in this play, you can see three levels of women: is the the mom, is the is her, and is the maid. Mm. And the maid is the one that you know have sex anywhere with yeah, the guy. Yeah, so like yeah. she she's the one that's free because she's a lower class. Yeah, she's lower class, so she can do all of that stuff. Yeah, and right. and some of the dirty jokes are between the mom and her because of their experience mm. and hero and i will go so to she was slut shamed basically a little bit yeah yeah um but it was like you know that the other day we were talking about i think in a previous episode we were talking about some stuff that within the culture you accept because mm. it's the culture mm-hmm. so i think that back then Talking about that, you know, those double intolerance and all those dirty jokes and everything, it was okay to talk with this woman that it was a maid and it was lower class, mm. but no one would say that to, for example, the queen or someone high in higher status than of them, mm. you know? So, and that was okay. Mm. I just, it, like, the way... Like and because it, it in the end the film like it all re- resolves itself and everyone's happy happily ever after because we find out no, she's not she's still a virgin she's still pure it's all good and I just I found it again I understand that we're talking about a play that's four or five hundred years old and you know dealing with uh, outdated sort of um, cultural um, values but I just I found it really strange that part of the um, the enjoyment of the film, which is because at the end, every everyone's so happy and they're dancing around. And it's like I described before, it's infectious. You can't help but be sort of swept along with it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, why are these people carrying on like this? Like, it, it's no one's frigging business, like <laughs> what was going on there. Like if she cheated on him, if she actually cheated on him, well, then Claudio's got a right to sort of feel um, betrayed. But, like, the fact whether or not she's a virgin is sort of here nor there. But they're carrying on. They're, they're so happy and relieved and it's all good because she's still a virgin. Well, but, like... I was like, this is just, this is dumb. But it is dumb because mm. it is nowadays and nowadays um, it, they are more important stuff. Mm. But, like, if you see other cultures, uh, the other day I was watching... Um, you know, like I like Korean and Chinese mm. and, you know, Japanese um, soap operas. And there was this Korean um, TV show uh, uh, in the time of the Joseon, so like very old, similar to this, a little bit older than this one. Mm. And when the couples got married, there was someone underneath the bed staying there while the couples were having sex. Why? Because that person will um... giving tips. Now you're doing it wrong. <laughs> no, you could do it this way. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for the tip. No, you that person rise. will prove that the the bride was virgin 
because they will see the splash of the blood in the in the sheets and everything. I'm sure that's the only thing that we're doing down there too. Yeah, of course yeah. not. But like the point is that like back then, at like for example, queens and princesses and whatever, they will have you know, like the beds, they will have these these curtains or whatever, mm. but there will be people outside, mm. like checking that actually the act was consummated mm. because it wasn't only the virginity, but also the consummation of the act. Mm. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So, but talking about hero, we have to say that Claudio, um, Claudio, um, because he was young and gullible and he was very rash and insecure he caused all of these issues his immaturity um not just him because the mayor like the the mayor the hero's father he was um uh, he was dismayed and, and like he basically took the side of his of claudio uh at the beginning yes but at the end he like again it's a reaction but then later he sighed with his daughter yeah but hang on that was after he found out that she was um not actually cheating on him no oh okay that was like he dragged her uh, with the with the hair and he was really mad and that's kind of a reaction like if I find out that one of my kids impregnate, you know, pregnant a, a woman, I'm going to get angry if they are 15 years old and that happens and I'm going to react. But then that doesn't mean that I'm going to kick them out of the house. Mm. So like once the the waters come down, yeah. I'm going to say, okay, we are going to see what is going to do, what is going to happen from now on. Okay. And yeah. that's what he did. Yeah, so right. he react, but then later he was like siding with his daughter he was the, going to support her to the point that he went to as a duel to claudio the father did yeah is this in the movie <laughs> yeah jesus christ my memory don't so you bad. remember that claudio was in the uh well maybe he didn't as a duel but I like i can't remember anything about a duel or it was benedict Benedict yeah, was, was going, going to, to a... Benedict. Yeah, Benedict yeah. Was going but like, to to. but but like the father and the brother, mm. they went to talk to Claudio before they knew about the all these things with uh, John. Right. Okay. So like he was hiding with the daughter. All okay. Right, so Claudio was young and foolish, and you can see it when um. What happened with foolish people, with, you know, immature people is that when they feel like something bad happened to them, they take this attitude of proudness, Mm. you know, like, I don't care, you can die, doesn't matter. And that happens to Claudio. So when he found out that Hero died because of this slander and whatever, he was like, I don't care, It's, it's her fault because she did this and that yeah I know. and that's why again that sort of fit into my but mm. when he found out what don john did yeah the immediate reaction was a change of heart so like crying and so sad and the you know the how you said the lights the pro- progressions how you said that the procession mm. and <laughs> um and then like you know he he, he oh, yes i can do whatever and i'm going to marry this other woman and you know so like he changed from one stage to the other and there is no like there no, is nothing no in ground. between yeah, exactly and that's why again it, 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 like he firstly i thought i can't remember who that actor was but i thought he was pretty he's the one in dr house well, I didn't watch that show. Like, pretty uninspiring. Like, not a really strong sort of screen presence. And then the character, like himself, you, I mean, you've just described it. Like, as soon as he found out that, um, or some, like, he didn't even see this. Someone just told him. So he took it as the truth. Oh, it must be true because this bloke said it was true. Um, he didn't see what? He didn't actually see for himself that, that, um it was hero up on the balcony all he saw was a woman up on the balcony oh my god you definitely didn't understand the movie uh margaret she was she was he was uh, the guy the 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 soldier mm. who was saying hero hero and she was and she was repeating something yeah 
but it was it was bullshit. Like all he had to do was yell out "hero" and get her to look around. And yes, and there will no be play. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> if it plays that flimsy, like forget it. It was just like but the, the way guy, he but reacted. The guy was, but the guy was very silly because, like for example, in the dance, mm. you know, Don Don Pedro mm. said to him, "I'm going to get hero for you." Yeah. So like. I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to do the hard, work, to do the hard work for yeah, you. Yeah. And he goes on his way. Yeah. And this guy comes and said, Oh, did you know that Don Pedro wants here for himself? And immediately he changed. Yeah, it's I know. like, come on, mate. <laughs> well, this is what I'm saying, Vivi. Like having this character played by this actor, it, it, it's a lead balloon in at the top of your film because the character himself is such a loser. Like, he gets so worked up at the thought that she's cheated on him and um, she's no longer a virgin that he's ready to drop her like a sack of shit. Um, and then at the and when, as soon as he finds out, oh, no, it's actually okay, it was all a bunch of bullshit. Oh, he's so happy. And, oh, he was like, come on. No, like, I really didn't like the character. As much as I enjoyed the film, and I did enjoy it, like what I said at the start was true, you can't help but be swept along by it. But that's more of a credit to, I think, probably Branner's um, skill um, and the other elements of of this of this play and this film, but the, but that character was a real sort of like a, a lead weight. It really was. Yeah. Well, like a lot of people think that the plot, the main plot, is the love between Claudio and Hero. It's and not. And the subplot is uh, the love between Benedict and Beatrice. Benedict and Beatrice is the, and Benedict... by far the more entertaining. Exactly. So like. It's kind of a swap. On even plots. even though, like we've already described, both Benedict and Beatrice as being sort of stereotypes, so nothing that happens between them is especially surprising. It's still more enjoyable to watch those two because they have character. Yeah, yeah. And and I think in a way, and they've got chemistry. Like obviously, those two were married in real life, exactly. so that that certainly helps. But I think in a way that was like an explanation on youth, because when you are young, you are kind of playing. Well, certainly prone to more, you know... Um, drama? Yeah, drama. Yeah, mm. exactly. Okay. And then we got Hero. And she is definitely the stereotype of the women. Played by Kate. Did we mention that Hero is played by Kate Beckinsale in her very and first did you know role? that? Yes. And did you know that that was her, like, her first movie? I just said that, like, right then. I said in her very first film role. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, she filmed that movie in while she was on holidays from her university. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I she looks that. extraordinarily young. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She was very young, but anyway, she's the ideal woman back then. Mm. She is so subdued and so passive calm and, and passive, yeah. and she's the typical damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. yep. The woman that led any man. To fix the her problems, mm -hmm. the woman that asked, "Oh, what am I? What, what should we do now?" <laughs> and this she doesn't do anything for herself. Yeah, nothing. Mm. And she brings me to um, a video that I saw with Reese Witherspoon. So she was talking. She was talking about why she decided to create her own production company, and she was saying that um, that she got tired of these male producers and directors mm -hmm. and all, all, all these movies that were produced or directed by male and that she found that sentence so when when something bad happened and and there was that moment of taking action a woman will say to the guy oh so what are we going to do now and she was like have you really in real life have you heard a woman saying that Maybe back then that happened, but nowadays not so much. Mm. Like you cannot generalize, but most likely than not, women never will say that. Mm. Yeah, well, certainly nowadays. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I, I don't want to sound like we're being too harsh on the film because at the end of the day, it is an enjoyable, you know, enjoyable little romp. Um, but there's just some stuff that I found really, really sort of off-putting. But remember annoying. that this is a comedy. Yeah, but comedies like they're, they're, any film needs to actually, like if it's got these sorts of plot holes in it, um, it needs to have a lot of stuff compensating for it. 
but like remember that okay so Shakespeare has this kind of almost like a dark humor in some oh, of his yeah. plays yeah, yeah. and like exaggerating situations mm. and I think this play does that a lot mm. not just with the characters but with other characters like the Nightwatch you know which by the way now that I'm saying that mm. they were added to the play once the play was finished did you know that what, as like comic relief or something mm. yeah okay so in this, and, and this is the guys who ride around on the invisible horses. Yeah. Do they do that in the play? Like what, what can you explain to me why they were doing that in the film? Well, were they actually think... supposed to be riding on horses or were they just being like goofballs? More like a goofball. Okay. So what happened is that um, Leonardo is the mayor of, of the town, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And this Nightwatch is a self-proclaimed Nightwatch. So it's not like something official. Mm. They are not officials, um, you know, like army or whatever. They are just people trying to be law order. Right. Yeah. Okay. So these guys, um, led by this crazy guy, um, they are taking the... the um, the truth and the justice on their own hands, mm. but they are laughing stock. So like they like, and if you see when they go and talk with Leonardo, Leonardo are like, yeah, 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 sure, no worries. Mm. But like everyone dismiss them mm. until they actually take the people and say, look, we mm. got them, we the heard day. them, and they save the day. Yeah, and the coin. Is because like <laughs> they got paid for something well done, mm. but like they are not part of the government. They are not part of anything. It's mm. just people that wants to believe that they are helping and doing something important. Right. It was a funny side gag. Like um, I sort of chuckled any time they were on. I mean, Michael Douglas, um, not Michael Douglas, Michael Keaton is he's just such a fantastic comic sort of, well, dramatic and comic actor. So I'll, I'll sort of laugh at anything that he sort of um, does. Um, ben Elton, not so much, but he, so it was funny, but I, it's just very strange, and I didn't know what was going on there, much like a lot of the film. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have three other characters that, like, they are quite important in the play. Like, obviously, we already talked about the main ones, but these ones, they give the shape of the story as well. It isn't, I thought um, Don Pedro was basically the main, the main character. Why Don Pedro? Well, like he's certainly the leader of that group of the group of soldiers that come into Messina. He's the, he's their leader. Yeah, but and like, he's sort of the one that sets everything in motion with um, setting up Claudio and Hero, and Beatrice and yeah. Benedict. And he's yeah, he's like the ring, the sort of ringmaster of those sort of circuses. Yeah, well, in my in my opinion, he wasn't like the main character because these kind of situations will happen whether he was there or not. Mm, I don't know about that. Well, when when they go to Messina, mm. Claudio immediately, like, hero caught uh, Claudio was too much of a friggin' wuss to do anything. He needed <laughs> Don Pedro. He would have just been sitting back there like a nervous little Nelly. <laughs> yeah, but, like, situation and, you know, like, the parties and all of that, they will... Wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. He's no. too much of a friggin' no i don't like that guy <laughs> i can see that mm. okay so don pedro uh, was played by denzel washington mm. and um he plays he poses a love expert however we know that he's single mm. um so probably he doesn't know as much as he believes he is maybe i don't know yeah that's interesting like um uh, he, he yeah another sort of strange element of the film like he's gets these sort of he's like the matchmaker of the piece getting these two together but so what's he doing he's just sort of standing back and watching it what's he doing for himself exactly a bit of a weirdo <laughs> he likes to watch yeah that's maybe he was the guy underneath the bed telling him what to do <laughs> um the, but the the thing <laughs> That I found not not weird or off-putting, but it was it was actually really interesting to see Denzel Washington show up in a film like this. I mean, <clears throat> this is a long time ago now, 
Um, so he was not really the Denzel that we know today. Like nowadays, he's more known for, you know, serious, brooding sort of characters. Um, or, <clears throat> excuse me, or in the, the Equalizer films, like an action hero. Um, so very, very interesting to see him show up in this and playing such a, um, um, being part of such a light, sort of frothy, um, joyous uh, sort of um, piece and character, you know. Um, there's scenes in this film where he's actually sort of joking around and um, and not in not in a like a, a, a like a cool ironic way, which is what he sort of I think is more known for now. Like he's always the coolest guy in whatever movie he's in. Whereas in this one, he was more just part of the group, like making fun of other people and, um, again, not in a cool way, but being part of the group and more sort of down-to-earth in a way. Um, I, I don't know. It, it was just, it was very odd. Like, he, he did a good job. Like, he, he was, you know, not certainly not bad or anything. It was just very different to what I'm used to seeing him in. Yeah, that's And a true. different tone. <laughs> Hmm. His performance was at a different sort of pitch than, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I've, I've seen in, in anything else. Well, like He was in um, another romantic comedy a few years after that called The Preacher's Wife, I think. Um, and I'm struggling to remember whether or not there's anything anything else along those sorts of lines that he's he's ever been involved in, and I can't think of any. There may be one or two that I'm unaware of or, or not remembering, but... Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I thought. I think it was very interesting the the cast, because yeah. if we like nowadays we are more comfortable playing, um, you know, series and movies of those times with a mixed race cast, mm. but in nineteen nineties, like that, those kind of things they were not that common. Mm. Like we were getting into this open mind and, you know, an inclusion and all of this. But I think that the movie kind of helps them, the mixed race here because of the con, the, because it portrays a lot of contrast between the characters. So we have, for example, Beatrice and Hero, they are like totally opposite. We have Benedict and Claudio, they are totally opposite. And we have Don John and Don Pedro, and they are totally opposite. Like Don Pedro is nice, is a gentleman, it's the is actually a lord, yeah. And Don John is a bastard. So like they are half brothers, but like no, you know. And also he's the bad one, he's the villain, he's all of that. So like I feel like that also that mixed race also helps to portray those contrasts. Yeah, uh, you, you, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's not something that I was sort of con consciously aware of. Um, obviously, <clears throat> um, it's um, interesting to consider whether or not there was any controversy. Not controversy, but, you know, um, surprise that um, Denzel Washington would be cast in a role that, I'm pretty sure was only ever played by white um, uh, or European actors. Um, so, yeah, whether or not there was any sort of kerfuffle or, or anything back then when it came out, like, I can't remember seeing anything uh, or even when I did the research, anything anything about it. But um, the other thing is that the movie didn't get didn't go that well in, in tickets. Oh, it, it was all right. Like it wasn't a blockbuster or anything, but it was it was it was popular. It was. Yeah, yeah. Like again, not 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 a um, uh, a super sized box office hit or anything, but like people, it was well regarded and, and people went to see it. Mm. Okay, I read somewhere that like they were you know like because it has so like a good cast yeah, and yeah. all of that. Yeah. They were waiting for the Oscars and all of that. Oh, but, but like that year was the Schindler Schindler's list. Uh, list. Yeah, mm. and like lots of other films as well. Like The Age of Innocence came out that year. Um, yeah, there, there was no way that much ado about nothing was going to compete with those. Forget yeah. it. 
Okay, so do you want to talk about any other character? <clears throat> oh, not about a character. Um, the only other sort of actor that I thought was worth mentioning was Keanu Reeves mm. playing the bad guy. Um, this, I don't know what was going on with Keanu Reeves back in the sort of early 90s, but he was really trying to become like a serious actor. Like he was in, and for whatever reason, thought that he needed to do English accents to, to make himself more believable as, an, <laughs> as, a, as a good actor. And his English action is just, they're hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. In this film and in, um, uh, not not as much in this film, but he was in Dracula, the Dracula movie that came out with Gary Oldman, Anthony Hopkins. And it's it's an awful, awful accent. Uh, I think he gets like a bit of a bad rap in, in that film because I don't think his acting is necessarily that bad. It's not great. Um, but it's not terrible that his accent is pretty shocking. And it was just, he was going through this thing like he'd been in Point Break and the Bill and Ted movies. And uh, I guess he just wanted to try and demonstrate to the world that, you know, no, actually I'm a, I'm a good actor and I'm going to show you I'm a good actor because I'm going to be in a Shakespeare play or I'm going to be Jonathan Harker and put on an English, English accent. Um, and I think he was sort of, this was around the stage just before Speed came out. I think this came out in 93 and Speed came out in 94. And right around the time of Speed, like he was not considered the joke, but he was like, oh, Keanu Reeves, okay. But he was in all these movies, like really silly movies, no? Like, like um, the one with the time traveling and the, you know, like similar to Bill. That's what I just said, Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah. But they were good films. Like They were so silly. No, yeah, but they're not actually, well, yeah, obviously they're sort of fantastical, but they're really good films, those. I haven't seen the third one that just came out, mm. but those first two are really good. Like even the sequel, it's they're very, very clever. But he had this reputation as being, oh, he's just the dumb fella or he's the funny fella. Um, we can't consider him for like proper, you know, um, acting acting roles, um, and so and this this sort of was at the height of that I think, and he's not a bad actor. Like Keanu Reeves can be a really really good actor, but there's just some some roles that certain people aren't suited for, and he he's he, not good. He's in this not suited for British roles. Yeah, well, these sort of reserved and icy um villainous type role but you know that's funny that you said that because i read somewhere that he was really good in this role because he has kind of a like a plain face in all these movies yeah. and in this one play well with with the role well I, no i don't agree with that at all he's he's just walks around with this vacant sort of pissed off look um <laughs> well, and, he was pissed off yeah but I, I didn't think he was good um and it, it, it's just like a time capsule i guess of an interesting time in his career because his career i don't think was it wasn't going where he wanted it to go and then speed comes out the following year and that just whoosh, shoots him right to the top of the list again in terms of action heroes which i don't think he was comfortable with um he, he tried to sort of he, I don't know. He's an interesting guy. Like I don't, I haven't sort of done that much sort of. Um, he has a reading really, really interesting life. Yeah, and he's. I think he's. He he's certainly intelligent. And he's very down to earth. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Um, but just around about this time, I think he was sort of fighting to get out of um, uh, being typecast, and so he was really trying to do something really against the grain um which is why he he sort of showed up in this i think and it just it didn't work and then so he's like oh well, all right i'll be in speed um and he bulked up for that and shaved his head and got the crew cut so i'm, I'm sure he thought he was sort of again going against against the grain but because it was such a great film and he was so good in it, it he was going to be the new action hero and it, he doesn't apparently doesn't like being sort of um uh, pigeonholed like that well but i think that i and don't quote me on this because i'm not sure the timeline of the situations but i think that after the speed the what happened uh, the tragedy of his wife and his daughter what's that 
well, um, they were not married, but they were the the girlfriend that the girlfriend that like he had a girlfriend for a long time, mm. and she was pregnant and she died in a car accident, and that wrecked all his life. Like that was a massive shock in his life. Jesus, mm. no, I didn't know about that. Oh, I'm not too sure. Yeah, so um, so like he had a point in his life. But again, I'm not sure where was the timeline, but he had a point in his life where this happened and that pretty much took him out of everything. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm not too sure when mm. that was, but yeah, that's sort of no good, but it makes sense. Mm. Mm. Okay. So the final part of this episode, I would like to just mention a couple of symbolisms that were in the movie. Mm. So the first one probably is the song. It was sung three times. Mm. Um, the fr- and is What's it, it called? Do you know what it's called? No, I don't remember. Should we check? No, no, no. Okay. So this, uh, this song was sung three times, mm. but in each time is sung by different genders or people. So like the first one is uh, Emma Thompson uh, singing the song, mm. so female then is um benedict yeah and then the last one is in when we finish and is everyone singing the song okay and then again we already talk about this and how it portrays women like the difference of genders and the song takes like a different meaning every time that a different gender or a group of people sing it is it sigh no more yeah yeah okay yeah. Right. So yes. Um, so that's one of the big um, symbolisms there. And then we have like the, the typical, like in the party at the beginning, uh, they are like masks and horns, which obviously symbolize all the... I get the, the masks, but what about the horns? What are the horns? Infidelity. Really? Yeah. Did you, you didn't know? No. I will. You are not Latin. Why are uh, they a, a symbol of infidelity? I actually don't know. Is it some sort of phallic thing? What? No. Well, like, I'm assuming that's what it was. If, what else are they going to symbolize? No, it's their horns. Like the devil horns? Yeah. Why would someone want to sleep with the devil? <laughs> I don't know. But, like, the point is that, like, um, I really don't know why the horns are... A symbol of infidelity, mm. like they are in the movie, and um, so who wears them? It's in the in the party. Oh, no one's wearing them. They're just there as decorations or something. No, they are. Is is mask and some mask, and I think um, Benedict the, is him. He has a horn on his mask. Yeah. Okay, I didn't didn't. I think mask. so. Okay. But anyway, so uh, the horns are a symbol of infidelity. Okay. So if a woman uh, is infidel, you know that the guy has horns, symbolic. Who? The guy she sleeps with? No, the guy the guy that she's with and she's sleeping around. Okay. Did you understand? No. Okay. Much so like... You are my husband. Yeah, yeah. If um, I, as your wife, mm. started sleeping around with other men, mm-hmm. you have horns. I've got horns. Yeah, because <laughs> you are the victim of my infidelity. Okay. So everyone can see that you are the silly guy that doesn't see his wife sleeping around, so you have horns. Mm. Clear as mud. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, um... The mask, obviously, the the symbols of the mask are like insecurities or gossip or hidden secrets, you know, but also the beers. The beers are there as a symbol of manhood. Did you see that all men, they have beers in the movie? Have they all got beards or just some of them just got moustache? No, all of them had beers except for like Claudio. That is the young one. Mm. It's like his manhood is not at that point. Mm. And Don John has like a really like patchy, patchy one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
I've I've heard that um, beards sometimes are an indication that you're duplicitous and you're hiding your true motives and that sort of stuff. But you have feet beard. I know. <laughs> Think about it. Okay. <laughs> Anything else? Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, look, so I, I think overall, again, it's a good film. It's worth watching because it's, it is fun. Um, you know, maybe some other people won't be as, as bothered with, um, with Claudio as I was and a couple of the other things. Um, but like it was interesting <clears throat> experience watching it because, you know, for reasons that I articulated in the introduction, I, I tend to stay away from Shakespeare. <coughs> excuse me, stay away from Shakespeare type things because most of the time I, I just don't get what they're saying. Um, so it was good. Like I, I it sort of somewhat reinvigorate, reinvigorated my interest in in Shakespeare and, and his works. Um, not only because we watched this actually, but because there's a new version of Macbeth coming out at the end of this year. Okay. And Denzel Washington's Macbeth. Oh, yeah, it's, interesting. Di- it's made by the Cohen brothers. So the guys who did No Country for Old Men okay. and Fargo, mm-hmm. they're doing this. And Francis McDormand is Lady Macbeth. Oh, mm. okay. So it's going to be very, very interesting, I think. It's going to be really, really interesting to see. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, like much ado about nothing. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's worth watching. I think if you don't get swept along with it, you'd be a pretty sort of hard-hearted person not to not to get um, swept away with with the feeling of joy and exuberance that that comes from it, um, notwithstanding the the issues that I had. Um, so nice. look, yeah, I'm glad that uh, you suggested it. Uh, it was a good choice. And uh, yeah. so, do you trust my choices now? A little bit more. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> Wait until the next one. Okay, well, um, which one is coming? Well, I don't know. We haven't chosen yet. We've got a few options. Uh, I think the main thing is that we need to choose one quickly and get it up quickly because at the end of every episode we keep saying, oh, yeah, um, we, we're going to make a better effort and get more organised, and we just haven't. So um, we'll uh, endeavour to make a much better effort to get the next one up quickly. We won't say what it is because we don't know what it's going to be as yet. Um, yeah, and we'll do another discussion shortly. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Bye. See you next time. Bye.